Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, tonight as we gather together in this room, Lord, may we lift up our eyes to you. Lord, as you say in your word, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, may tonight we just continue to be reminded that there's nowhere else to look in this life other than to you and you alone. And Lord, I pray for all the requests. Lord, there's many, a lot of things going on right now. I pray, Father, that you might just work in every way, in every shape, every form. And uh, God, we ask for you to do what we can't. And when we can't understand, Lord, I pray you would give peace. And uh, Lord, just that through the understanding that we may or may not have in the things that we face. Lord, we pray that you be with those working with the kids tonight, those working with the teenagers. Lord, be with those teachers. Lord, thank you for them. And Lord, I pray they might find favor in the eyes and ears of those children. Lord, be with us as we continue to look at faith tonight, some things in Scripture. Lord, may it please you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in chapter number 11 here, but I want to back up just for a moment, like I did last week, and read um, verse number 38 of chapter 10. So back up just a hair if you can. And uh, to kind of, we worked through chapter 10 a long time of Hebrews. And before we get into chapter 11, uh, everything that Paul, who I believe is the author of, of Hebrews, he's been telling them about drawing near. And you remember what we talked about, it says, since God has done this, let us, and you read a lot of times in the end of Hebrews, let us draw near, let us consider, let us do these things. But it says in verse 38, it says, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So it says the just, the righteous, the ones of God, that's how we're going to live. We're going to live by faith. But it says if we draw back from it, God doesn't get any pleasure out of that. Is that the idea is that we, we live by faith. It's not just what we say, it's what we practice and it's what we do. And, and we looked a little bit last week and the idea mainly was defining faith. What does, how is faith defined? And we said the very first verse talks about it says now faith is a substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen and it kind of just comes right out in chapter number 11 not, chapter 11 to give you an idea is an example given of what he means when he says the just shall live by faith now if someone ever you ever hear somebody whether it's in church or on the radio or reading something says you know what you just need to do this like you just need to love god you're like great give me an example of how i can love god man i need to have more faith and you're like great how do i have more faith or man i need to practice more grace in my life and you're like okay how do i do that chapter 11 is what the author of hebrews is saying let me give some examples of people that live by faith let me give you some examples of those that fulfilled chapter 10 verse 38 where it says the just shall live by faith and you know you kind of like get this who's who here and we defined faith last week a little bit and just looking at it but we said there's something to understand that the foundational element of faith is discontentment. Now, let me explain that for a moment, because when we hear discontentment, we're like, well, Phil, I know it says over in Philippians that whatsoever state I am there would be content. That word content there means to be satisfied in what God has you in. But to understand what I mean here is the idea is that discontentment leads us towards something. Discontentment means we're not happy with the status quo of where we're at. Or someone that is maybe single that says, hey, I want to get married one day. That's an element of discontentment because they're saying, I don't want to be single for long. I want to get married. That's what I want to do. Someone that says, I want to have money one day is discontent because they're broke. You know, it's kind of that mentality. It's that you don't want to stay where you're at. You want to go forward. 
This type of discontentment that we look at is where Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. He's, this kind of discontentment is not a sinful bitterness, selfishness uh, for me. It's the idea of I want to go forward in my life for God. You say, well, what do you mean? I also mean it like this. If we're not careful, we get very complacent in life, and we're happy with how much we know about God, how much we do with God, how much we pray to God, how much we read the Bible. We get very happy and satisfied and very comfortable in these things. And I believe in Scripture, it tells us that when it comes to our spiritual life and our closeness and maturity to God, we should never get to a place where we're just comfortable. There should always be that longing and desire to know more of God. Um, it's kind of like this, as I think I mentioned it Sunday. Jesus is infinite. God is infinite. And that means this. There will always be more of God to have. There will always be more of him to learn. There will always be more of him to understand, to possess in your life. Uh, like for the example of you can know me and there is a beginning with me and there is an ending with me. And you can learn everything about me you want and it won't take you that long. And you can learn all this stuff. But with God, he's infinite. There is no beginning with God. There's no ending with God. So there's always more as you continue to grow older. And I know some of you that have been saved for several years, you would probably say that you still are learning more things about God in your life now than maybe you did 10, 15, 20 years ago. You're growing in your faith. And that's when we're talking about the element of faith is an idea of discontentment. I'm not going to be happy with this is as close to God as I can be. I want more. I want to go closer. I want more healing. I might want more God's helping in my life. And we said there where it says, now faith, verse 1, is the substance or assurance of things hoped for. Hope for there again is talking about the discontentment. I want more. I'm hoping for something more than I'm currently in with that. And so you see that the idea of the assurance says that now faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things you're not seeing. You're convicted and you're convinced of things that you haven't seen yet, but you know God is faithful and God's going to do it. I have not seen heaven. I have a conviction that there is a heaven. I have a conviction there is a hell. And that my hope, my discontentment is this is not it. This whole life is not it. And so that's what we were kind of looking at last week. It's just that idea of that discontentment, not sinfulness, not, not the idea of bitterness or selfishness, but that idea that makes you want to go forward and the danger we can fall into if we can say, well, I know how to, I know how to eat, sleep, go to work, go to church, live my life, and never change. Careful of getting comfortable in that. Remember over in the Laodicean church, what was wrong with They were lukewarm. Neither hot, neither cold. They were lukewarm. And, and, and so the idea that discontentment keeps me pressing towards God. You know, it's kind of like this. I'm, I know many times in my life I've been almost aggravated myself saying, God, I just want to know you more. God, I just want to be closer to you. God, I want to be better at being a, a follower of Christ. And that's what it talks about. And so we looked at that last week and we said, if you remember, we said it has discontentment. But we said, what's one thing about faith? Faith, what? Makes the relationship sweeter. When you have faith in God and the faith of God in your life, it makes the relationship sweeter. We looked at one of the examples was talking about Enoch in verse 5. Remember it says that he didn't see death? And he says, and he had a testimony, what? That he pleased God. I mean, for eternity, Enoch is known as the man that pleased God. I mean, what a great thing to put on your tombstone, right? This person pleased God. God loved being with Enoch. Said, come on let's go he didn't see death 
And so he had that idea, he had that sweetness, that closeness. But we also looked at the idea of faith has to be faith done God's way. It has to be in the way he wants. You have to approach God the way he desires. And we looked at uh, Abel. We said, what, Abel offered a sacrifice that was acceptable. Cain didn't. And remember about uh, Abel, he did these things the way God wanted. And I loved the thing about Abel. It says, even though he's dead, yet he speaketh. Because he approached God his way. He had the right way with that. But we also looked at lastly, and I'm going to mention a little bit more tonight, is this. Is that faith will lead us to do some things that are just absolutely absurd. Things that don't make sense. If you remember that, by faith Noah, what did he do? Prepared an ark 500 miles from the nearest body of water and a thousand times higher and bigger than what he needed for he and his family. Pack it full of animals and here we go. And never seen rain. You know, faith can lead you to do some things that in the world's eyes is just absurd. And so we saw those things. And so I want us to see some things tonight. And I've got a few points here. Uh, the first point, and then we're going to read some of these passages here, is this. And the idea of how does this play out? So faith, and the idea of this, what faith does. Number one, faith is always anticipating a better day. Faith is always anticipating a better day. Look in verse number nine. In verse number nine, it's talking about Abraham here. It says, by faith he, or Abraham, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, with the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Down in verse 12, therefore it sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and in the sand which by the seashore innumerable. And what I'm saying here is that faith always anticipates a better day. What I mean by that, faith somehow, faith in God and the faith of God that God gives us to demonstrate somehow sees the future and now believes that there's a better day coming. Now, it means there's some anticipation. Like uh, when you get close, I found out anytime you get close to like summer break or let's just do spring break. Anytime after spring break, pretty much the children have decided they're no longer going to educate themselves or be willing to be educated. They were ready to, they're, they're in summer mode and everybody's just surviving. You're like, Phil, my spring break must be in October then because my kid's been like that the whole time. I get it. I understand. But what is happening? They're still in school, but they're, anticipate man get out man it's at that day hey I, i'm gonna guess some of you probably i know what time you punched out today especially if you get out at a certain time you just look at that clock and like okay go you know do that i remember when i worked at blue cross blue shield in south carolina we get off work at five o'clock and it was almost like I, I i had a cubicle right next to the door in the elevator and it was always funny like it could be like two minutes till and i'm seeing people like running out you know as far as they can and i seen it like I've actually heard, you know, you remember the old Windows program when you close it, it goes, doo doo, you know, that little sound like that. It'd be like 4:59, five o'clock, doo 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 doo, and everybody's up, up, gone, 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 gone. And you know what that is? They didn't in that split 30 seconds go, oh, it's time to go home. They're like anticipating there is something better than where I'm at right now in life. Okay, you probably did that today. Uh, I tell you, I do that sometimes with church. I get up Sunday morning, Wednesday mornings, and I anticipate, hey, what's coming? I'm looking forward to what's coming 
I anticipate that. And faith somehow sees the future and now believes that the future is coming. Now, the idea is this. If there is no anticipation that something better is coming, then faith doesn't exist. If you don't anticipate a better whatever, then there's no faith current and present. We just read a little bit about Abraham. I'm really hesitant to talk much about Abraham because that's what we're doing on uh, Sunday nights, talking about Abraham. But I just want to show you this. Abraham here anticipated. Do you see what it said in verse 9? He was what? He looked for a city. God said, all nations of the earth shall be blessed with you. Uh, you're going to have uh, descendants as, as much as the sand in the seashore, as many as stars in the sky. You're going to have that. He anticipated all of that. And you see what it said about Sarah in verse 11. It says she knew she was past age to have children. And I know we talked about it some on Sunday nights. But it says why did she have faith? Because it says the end of verse 11, which is huge, she judged him faithful who had promised. God promised me this. He's faithful. I am doing that. Now, I've heard some people, by the way, say, well, it's really not that big a deal with Abraham having children and Abraham and Sarah having children because people live longer in those days. Well, I think verse 12 knocks that out because here's what it says about Abraham. Therefore sprang there even of one or of Abraham and, uh, and him as good as dead. So when people say, oh, I don't really think it's that big of a miracle and try to discount. Author of Hebrews here is saying, Abraham was about dying age. You know, he walking out of the tent. I wonder if today's it, you know, kind of through Abraham. I mean, he's, he's the age of that part. So God does those things and he anticipates those things. And that we should anticipate those things and, and just understanding. It's kind of one of the reasons why I encourage you so much to get into this book. Get into this book for yourself. Not just at services, but get into this book and look over it. Because God will, you'll read about the promises of God through the people of God. And, and what that does, you'll find yourself reading about these promises. And it kind of creates in us an anticipation. If God could do that with them, man, could God do that with me? If God could take Moses, a murderer, and do great things with him, man, I anticipate what God could do with me in my life. If God could take a man after God's own heart, David, and everything that David did in his wicked time that he did when he got into sin, and God still used him greatly, man, God could do that. It's anticipating those things, anticipating those things. And, and the idea is that faith anticipates that the promises of God will come true. And I need to throw this in here no matter how long you have to fight for them. Sometimes you got to fight. Sometimes you got to go through things, and you got to wait on them sometimes. And you got to wait for these promises and do those things. I think, if I'm not mistaken, from the time God told Abraham, you're going to have a son, it was 25 years for Isaac was born. That's a long time. You think there's some time in there he didn't go, it ain't going to be now. But he kept anticipating that he is faithful that will do those things. Go down and look in the uh, chap uh, same chapter, but down in verse number 20. It says, by faith, Isaac, this is Abraham's son, blessed Jacob and Esau, his sons, what? Concerning things to come. He's passing down. Jacob says, Jacob, excuse me, Isaac says to Jacob and Esau, he passed down. Sons, there's going to be something that comes. Let me tell you what God promised Abraham, our, our, my, uh, my father. Let me tell you what God promised me, and let me tell you what God promises you. And he talks about this anticipation. It goes on in verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, verse 22, when he died, 
made mention of departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. They say, what does that mean? Why, if you remember, Joseph's in Egypt. Jacob and his sons, Joseph's brothers, come down to Egypt. Joseph's second in command, if you remember that during that time. And they're all down there. And what happens after Joseph dies? There rose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. And then they go into captivity for 400 years. They serve the Egyptians. But what does Joseph say to his sons here? We're not going to be here forever. Don't bury my bones here. There's going to be a day that God's going to give you a land that he promised all the way back to Abraham. And you need to anticipate that day. And live faith is an anticipating faith into what God's going to do. He says, don't even bury me here. Bury me that over there. And it's kind of a cool thing. When Moses' children of Israel left, they carried with them a tomb of the bones of Joseph, and they buried him in the promised land. And why? Because he's like, hey, that he had that faith. Now, it's going to be hundreds of years later, but he had faith that that was going to happen in that. And so we see this idea of anticipating faith. And, and, and what's, what I want us to get to see here is that is when you don't know what God's going to do, and you're not familiar with Scripture, and you're not real familiar with the promises of God, let me tell you what happens to us. We get stuck in a works-based religion. When we don't know the promises of God, and we don't know what's going to happen, and we don't have faith and, and anticipation of what God's going to do, we start thinking about, we, we go back to the old tabernacle system. We go back to, I better give if God's going to bless me. I better go to church. I better do this, because I just hope he's going to make everything get better. Instead of faith having that confidence that God anticipating there's going to be a better day. Now, for some of us, that better day, you know, we may not see on this side. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But the idea that the anticipation that God is faithful, anticipate that. When you lose anticipation in your heart and mind for the promises of God, for a better day coming, even if that day is in eternity with him, man, your faith becomes very stagnant. But that anticipation. And like I said, it's not that we can't have joy in the midst of what we're doing, but let me tell you, some of us get so comfortable in our faithlessness that I just get up and I just keep my head in my lane, my job, what I do, my family, and we totally miss wonderful opportunities to grow closer to God because faith anticipates that. So there's an anticipation that's birthed in faith, but not only that. Secondly, faith moves. Faith moves. So faith moves. That means this. Faith is not stagnant. It's not like it sits there with twiddling its thumbs. It doesn't go, well, I hope God's going to take care of this, and I'm just going to sit here and hope God takes care of it. No, it means I'm going to get involved. Looked in verse number 7. I mentioned it uh, earlier. Now it says, talking about by faith, Noah. And I underline in my Bible, it says, by faith, Noah. I have that underlined. Being warned of God of things not seen yet, moved with fear. Now I have this underlined. By faith, Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Noah did not sit there and say, okay, God, you're going to destroy the world. I'm going to sit here and wait for you to do it. I found grace in the eyes of you, God. I'm going to sit here. No, faith leads us to action. Faith leads us to action. It leads us to do these things and leads us to be involved. Down in verse number 8, talking about Abraham, look what it says. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, look what it says, obeyed and went out, look, not knowing whether he went. That to me is fascinating. God says, I want you to go. I promised you this land. Where am I going to go, God? I'll show you. So Abraham didn't go. You show me, then I'll go. 
No, he says, by faith, God, I, by faith, I will go. And it says that he went out, he obeyed, not knowing where he was going. Faith is not this sitting here saying, God, I know you're in control, but I'm not going to do anything. Faith is going to lead me to action. And, and it's not just saying, I'm just going to sit here and wait and see what happens. Uh, down in verse number 24, you see, by faith, Moses, okay? And it talks about Moses here for a few verses, if you want to follow along. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, look what he did. This is an action. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So that's his faith acting. Look at verse 25. Choosing rather to what? Suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So that right there shows you faith moves because if he moves, he says, I'm willing to suffer. A faith that doesn't move says, I'm just going to sit here and enjoy what I should not be enjoying. And it led, and, he sa- and so we see that. He says in verse 26, Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now look what it says in verse 27. By faith he what? Forsook Egypt. You ever wondered? I mean, Moses could have lived a, humanly speaking, a great life as a prince of Egypt. He may have never got to be Pharaoh, but he could have lived a life of total world's eyes, comfort, ease, pleasure, no needs for anything. But when faith came to him to God, that faith said, you know what, you got to move. You got to act. When God eventually tells him um, through the burning bush, I'm going to. I'm going to set my people free. I'm going to lead them to the promised land. Moses was totally pumped until God said, now here's what I want you to do. That faith that you have, Moses, that I'm going to deliver them, yeah, you're the one that's going to go. And Moses is like, what? And you read that account in Exodus 3 where he makes excuses why he can't act, why his faith can't act. Can I tell you, a faith that does not have works, and we'll see in a moment, a faith that does not have works is no faith. A faith that you have leads you to action. It leads you to doing this, to certain things that will lead you to demonstrate your faith, okay? Demonstrate those things. And so the idea here, and I can even show you a little bit more, uh, look in verse number 32, and it's probably the best place to really explain this. Um, look at ver- So it lists all these different people down through all. In verse uh, 31, it talks about Rahab and all these different things. Look at verse 32. And what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith, look what, this is the action. They subdued kingdoms. They wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in, fl- in fight, turned the flight the enemies of the aliens so when you read this here you know what it's saying he's saying all these other people who by faith started moving they started acting by faith it says what did they do they subdued kingdoms they did all of these things how do you think that happened you think it happened because they said okay god you made this promise i'm going to sit here and watch you do it no their faith led them to get up and go be a part of it now, remember, like I said, last week we looked at this. True faith will lead us to a freedom to follow God and even things that seem absurd. I mean, it will lead us to do those things. And, and, and by the way, I just wrote this down as an example. Is there really a more absurd, absurd uh, or crazy 
uh, demonstration in faith than the walls of Jericho? I can't think of a crazier more way. All right, so remember, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua's the new guy. They crossed the Jordan River, and to get into the promised land as they go, Jericho's right there. And here's what it says. And by the way, if you really study that in Joshua chapter 5 and 6, they are not warriors. The people of Israel are not warriors. I think it says there wasn't a sword among them. None of them were warriors. And so can you kind of just imagine the, the angel of the Lord comes to, to Joshua and says, all right, man, we're here at the promised land. Here's what I want you to do. you got this big city of Jericho. I want you to get seven priests, and I want you to go up to the city, march around it, go home. And I want you to do it for six days. Line them up, blow the trumpets, march around once, go home. Sixth day, seventh day, march around it seven times, blast the trumpets, and the walls come down. And I'm really sitting there thinking, God, that is awesome. I'm going to stay at the tent and watch you do that. I mean, that's what I would have said. And now, once again, faith to action. Can you see Joshua walking out to the people? I know everybody knows that Moses is dead. I'm his replacement. Here's what God told me to do. We're going to go fight this city. All we're going to do is walk around it for six days, one time. Seventh day, we're going to walk around it seven times, blow trumpets, and scream. We're going to win. That's the first thing you get from Joshua. That's why you read all through Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. You get that a lot in chapter 1. You know why God's telling him be strong and courageous? Because chapter 5 and 6 are coming. You know what I mean? You're going to get to demonstrate why your faith needs to be in me. And see, and the test on Joshua's life was Moses had faith in me and obeyed me. You say you have faith in me, now show me. And so that's what they did. And the children of Israel have one of the greatest victories that they ever had. But you talk about something absurd. I don't think of a whole lot of other things that are more absurd, absurd than that. Look what it says down in uh, verse 30 of this passage. It talks about, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. That one verse really, in a sense, doesn't do it a lot of justice because of everything that went into there. But you know what's crazy? This is kind of known as the hall of faith, so to speak. That demonstration of faith by Joshua and the children of Israel, God says, I want that remembered forever in, this, in the New Testament. That's something I want to be remembered forever because faith moves. It's not static. It does not terminate itself. It grows. It shakes. It fights off. It does these things. That's what faith does. If faith doesn't move, it's just not faith. And just to give a better idea right here, let's flip to uh, the book of James real quick, if you would. James chapter number 2. It's just the next book over. Hebrews, James, James chapter 2. And this idea how faith moves, and, and this, is a, this is a chapter of Scripture that really bothers a lot of people. You know, if you just read it by itself, it really makes you think there's a work salvation, and there's so much that tells in Scripture it's not. But what James is doing here is trying to describe to them that you can't just say you have faith and sit on your laurels, so to speak, that faith is going to have works. And so you see here in James chapter number 2, verse number 14 through 17, look what it says. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? 
if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you saying to him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give to them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, if it hath not works, if faith hath not works, is dead, being alone. So it's like saying, this guy that you see here, and he's starving. This guy here doesn't have the right kind of clothing. He's freezing. And, and, and you just look at him and say, hey, buddy, you need to get you some clothes and warm up, man. You need to get you some food, man. You need to get you some food. You need to get you something to eat. You need to get, some, you need to get warm. And that's all we do. And we just said, we look at you and say, God bless you. Be you warmed and filled. And we see people in need, and we have the ability to do so. And we're like, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. He's like, you ain't got faith. Faith leads to works. Faith leads to action. And, and when you kind of, let me kind of unpack it like this, if you would. If faith doesn't have works, it's dead being by itself. And that means, if, let's just say, kind of like if you bounce back to the biology class back in high school. Remember how you used to have the little hanger and a big skeleton that would hang right there? And you got the skeleton hanger. Now, I've asked you a question. If this skeleton's a human being, what are you going to say? No. Because the life that was in it left a long time ago. Only thing left there is bones. It's dead. That's the idea of faith and works together. It shows that there's life. There shows that there's some depth to what you say you believe in. If we say we love Christ and follow Christ, but we don't keep his commandments, and we don't do these things of showing love to people and grace to people. Can I tell you, he's saying our faith is dead. Now, by the way, you notice what came first. Faith comes first, then works. Can I tell you today, you can do all the works you want hoping to generate faith. That is not how it happens. That is not how it happens. Faith, true faith in God will bring about works. Faith always comes first. Faith creates works. Faith creates works. Works do not create faith. And so when you see that, it leads us to action. And I know that sometimes gets us a little bit confused with that. But I think so many times in our life, we have so many works in our life, and we don't have a lot of faith. We're just doing this stuff, doing this stuff, doing this stuff. But do we have faith in God? And that leads us to work. That means just because I know God is faithful. I know that he shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. That's why I can do things to my time, my talent, my resources. I can do that because God's faithful. That's why when God leads me to do things in my life that don't make sense because he's faithful and I have faith in him, I can do that because I have faith first and the faith leads me to works. It leads me to action and to do those things. And faith produces those right kind of works. Now, I have to say this and I've got to get to the last point quickly. I think a lot of times when we talk about works, we got faith, produces works. We think it just means, well, let's feed this guy over here that's not fed, and let's help this person over here that ain't got money for that, and let's clothe the people that are struggling. Okay, I wasn't going to say naked because the Bible says that, but hopefully we're not into that depth, but you know what I mean. But what if faith is not only that, but what if, what if works was not just that, but what if works was God helping you realize the wickedness in your own heart that's keeping you away from him and you making that right with God what if part of that faith that leads to works 
is that you finally start living an honest life with yourself and not being two-faced. What if faith that leads to works is that sin that does so easily beset you, whatever it is? Not only do you recognize there's a problem, but you start working through God's help to get that thing out of your life. I truly think that's part of the works, too. It's not just feeding the homeless and just being nice and doing something for somebody. I think that's great. But I think faith and works, sometimes that work leads us to sometimes just maybe just coming clean with God and being honest with God about who we are. Maybe it's coming clean saying, God, I am going to have to have helpless dependence upon you because I can't do this. I think that's the works that we don't think of. And because we don't do a lot of that, it's because we really don't have the faith that God really can do it. Why won't I sometimes say, God, I struggle with this. God, this is wrong. And through your help, I'm going to do that because we really don't have faith that God will really cleanse us and make us clean. And, and, and that's the idea with that understanding is maybe that's what faith leads to works is. Maybe the works isn't just helping out so-and-so. Maybe the faith is, Maybe the work is what God wants to do right here and having faith that God really can do something in my life and cleanse me and make me who he wants to be. So faith, it anticipates, it moves, and here's the last one. I'm sorry, I believe it's the hardest one of all of them. You're like, great, Phil, thanks. Faith always perseveres. Faith always perseveres. If you're back there in Hebrews chapter 11, Okay, so he's unpacking a little bit here, this first group of people, right? Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, right? He's talked about by faith, by faith, by faith. They did all these things, especially Abraham through here. Look at what verse 13 says. These all, those before, all died in faith. Look at the next part. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Did you check that part out? All these people died in faith, not having received the things that God promised them yet. Abraham, remember up in the early part, God was going to make a city. Abraham died in a tent. Sarah, you're going to be the mother of scores of people. To our knowledge, she saw Isaac. She died in faith. But you know what I think here is that they persevered. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make a city for you. I'm going to build this. And Abraham didn't see it. And if that's not enough, you say, well, Phil, okay, I, I get that. But that's just those people. That's just the old patriarchs there. You're just in Genesis. What, what about those other people that you mentioned back in verse 32? You know, talking about, you know, Gideon and Barak and Jephthah and all that. Well, look what it says about all of them when you get down to verse number 39. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, what? Received not the promise. Because faith has to persevere. Faith has to persevere. And I want us to sometimes remind ourselves this, that in the grand scope of eternity, we're just a blip on the radar of this story that God has from creation to the end. And for us to understand that, I know that doesn't make you feel warm and fuzzy, but sometimes I think our lives serve the purpose of God in this generation, but I think sometimes our lives 
and the way we live our lives and our testimony, like I talked about Abel, being dead yet speaketh. Sometimes our faith, we may not see the promise in this life, but it not only serves this generation, but it serves future generations to come. Remember Abraham, Sarah, God's going to do this. What did it say about what did it say about Isaac? He passed down to them what God promised Abraham. And what did uh, Jacob do? He passed down to the sons of Joseph what got passed down to him. That sometimes faith just has to persevere. And what I'm trying, I guess, to say this is this. You know, I think, um, just give you a personal example. You know, I've experienced a lot of freedom. I have struggles in my life. I had struggles all my life. And I think faith helps us experience a lot of freedom in those struggles. But if I can be completely honest with you, there's things that I still struggle with in my life that I was really hoping I'd be way past by now. There are things that, man, I wish I had victory over that still come at me. I don't necessarily give in to those things. But you know what I mean? They still draw me. And then we're going to see that next week, that sin that does so easily beset us, that thing that's easier. I think we all have certain things in our life that might trip us up a little bit easier than it would somebody else. And to understand this idea, and some of you may like this and some of you may not like this, but what if it's part of my faith persevering for the next 50 years, the things that I struggle with in my life? things that were handed down to me by my father and his father the sins of the father that keep going down the things that we struggle with that get cast down you know no offense roger's men are not great people normally in the in our heritage just being honest with you and i'm so thankful my dad came to christ and ever since that he's tried to break that chain and start a new way and i thank god for that and i'm a second generation christian i, I can't honestly look at you and say i know my, my grandparents are in heaven i can't i have a hope but the struggles that they had that passed down, the struggles that came down to me, what if I never truly get victory over some of the struggles that have been passed down to me in my life? And what if I always have to fight them? And what if I never get made whole? But by the testimony of the faith that I live, knowing grace and don't have to struggle with that. What if I live my life, a life of faith enough, persevering faith, that the struggles that I have will die when they put me in the ground. That Noah and Grayson and Maggie and Chloe won't struggle. They'll have their own struggles, don't get me wrong. But many of you know what I mean. We got things that just kind of trickle down right down to us. And that's why faith has to persevere. Because if I never fully get victory over some things in my life that want to fight me, may I live my life in such perseverance and faith in God that my children will rise up and call me blessed. And they won't struggle with the things that I struggle with. And those things. And that may mean that I got to get up in the middle of the night and plead with God about some stuff. That may mean in my life that I have to wrestle some of the dark things the rest of my life. So hopefully my sons and my daughters don't. And you know, um, there's no magical combination there. But what if my lot in life is to have certain struggles so that there can be a new generation of Rogers men that go after me that don't struggle with some of the things that great-grandparents, parents, all them struggle with. And you know, if that's true, I'm okay with that. Most of the time. <laughs> I really don't want to say that like that, but but maybe that's what that's going to be my lot, maybe. And I've seen some of that even get broken from my father down to me. 
But you know, what if that's the legacy with that? And I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with maybe never, ever truly getting peace from struggles. I can have victory. But you know what I mean? There's certain things that will just keep coming back and just keep coming back. And it makes me think of this about persevering faith. And you don't have to turn there. But uh, I'll throw it up here for you on the screen. Actually, Lee will throw it on the screen for you. It's Daniel chapter number three. And the idea of faith that's persevering, even if you don't get to see the wholeness in this life, maybe it's in the next. And, man, I know our time's up, and I'm sorry, but I just got to read this to you. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 says, As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand. If we stop there, that would be great. But the next three words of verse 18 are huge. But if not, or even if, let it be known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, our God's able to deliver us. He can do this. But if he doesn't, let it be known. And he's not talking about just the Nebuchadnezzar. Let it be known to all those people that come behind us. We're not going to bow to you. And when I think about this, it just clings to the fact they're saying we're not abandoned. The reason you can persevere in faith is because you realize that he'll never truly leave you nor forsake you in what you face in this life. Because faith, it acts, it anticipates, and it perseveres. And it just sees the promise of the future and hopes for it. Let's pray.